0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to ToledoCalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today.
1: One of my favorite titles is Daddy. Uh, What a privilege it is to be a daddy. And if you haven't heard, uh, in about four weeks, I get a, a, a new title, an additional title called Grandpa. And so uh, that's that's really awesome. Yeah, thanks. Um, our lead pastor, Pastor Chad, and his family are away today, uh, vacationing, and uh, they'll be back with us next Sunday. And so if you are a guest, come back next Sunday, okay? Uh, <laughs> but we're glad that you're here. Uh, the family, the family was created by God in Genesis chapter two, verse twenty-four. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. This passage tells us that the family belongs to God. It was his idea. He created it. He determined its structure. He appointed it for his purposes and goals. The family does not exist for our benefit, but to honor and glorify God. Again, the home is God's establishment. Billy Graham once said, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. Thus the reason a pastor faces a bit of a dilemma on Father's Day because there are some uh, who do not attend service today uh, because their father, who was an amazing dad, is no longer with them on this earth, and it's difficult for them to participate in a Father's Day service, and if this is your first Father's Day without your dad, uh, we support you, we, we, we grieve with you, uh, we pray with you as well. There are those as well who choose not to attend church on Father's Day because the relationship they have had or still have with their father is strained for an array array of reasons. And uh, we don't minimize your pain. We don't minimize your disappointment. However, we were reminded last week through the life of Naomi that we can choose to become better despite the bitterness in our lives. And of course, there are many who are here today to celebrate and honor their fathers. And so for whatever reason you're here today on Father's Day, I am confident that all of us can benefit from the wisdom of two fathers. The wisdom of two fathers. The first father I wanna talk with you about today is a father that I know very well. And that is my father, Lee McGinnis. I have been blessed by a godly father. I've been going through all this all week, you know, going through memories, and, and uh, I've gone down through memory lane and uh, trying not to get emotional. I'm blessed. I still have my father who lives in Branson, Missouri, but I've been blessed by a godly father who lived his Christian life by example and modeled the principles of God's word for my sister, brother, and I. My dad was the third of five children born in the late 30s, was raised in the 40s and 50s by my grandparents who became Christian shortly, at, or shortly before my father was born. Uh, God spoke to my grandmother a few months before dad was born and said, this son is going to be different. He was the third son and uh, he's going to be a preacher someday. And my grandmother never told my father this until he was headed to Bible college in in 1958. Of the five children that was raised by my grandparents, my dad was the only one that chose to follow Jesus Christ despite their upbringing. My aunts and uncles um, that I didn't have much of a connection with, uh, their lives were filled with alcoholism and drug abuse, prison, and uh, two of them even died prematurely because of their lifestyle. But my parents, my dad, uh, has served the Lord. Uh, They've served the Lord my parents their entire lives. They've pastored 10 churches throughout the country and will celebrate 60 years of marriage uh, next year. I am who I am. Yeah, way to go mom and dad, yes. I am who I am because of my father. I have a healthy relationship with my heavenly father because of my earthly father. I'm grateful. Father number two is a father from the Old Testament that we read about uh, in the Bible. And that is King Solomon. He was the son of King David. Solomon was Israel's third king. Early in his reign, Solomon prayed for wisdom, and God granted him his request. In fact, Solomon is noted as one of the wisest men who has ever lived. He produced 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs in his lifetime. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, many of the proverbs written by Solomon are recorded in the book of Proverbs in our Bibles. Most of the Proverbs teach practical lessons about attitudes, behaviors, and just life in general. It is a good, good thing to read a proverb or two uh, a week or a day. Many of the Proverbs come in the form of a father's godly advice to his young son or sons. The family is the most important subject uh, in the book of Proverbs, reflecting how important it is To God's covenant with the nation of Israel. Unfortunately, later in his life, Solomon himself did not follow the wisdom that God gave him. Rather than honoring God, he turned away from God. He allowed his heart to become distracted. Solomon's life shows that knowing or teaching moral principles from God's word is not enough. So today, here is our plan, Wisdom from Two Fathers. I'm gonna share with you today eight quotes uh, that I heard my dad share while I was growing up. I wanna back it up with a biblical principle and then tie it up uh, with a proverb from Solomon, all right? Two words, uh, or wisdom from two fathers. Now, some of these uh, principles, uh, Probably our review or a reminder. Uh, they're non negotiables as far as I'm concerned. Some of these principles may even be new for some who are here today. So let's start. Um, every year, on the first day of school, when I was in elementary school, my dad would take me to school and he would meet with my teacher, seriously, at the classroom door. And he would say the following to my teacher. Here's quote number one. Let me know if you have a problem with my son. (laughs) When I entered into junior high, he would attend my parent-teacher conferences. And he would say to all six, seven, or eight of my teachers, let me know if you have a problem with my son. Do you know what my dad meant by that statement? (laughs) Yeah, okay. My father was conveying to me that if I acted up in school, I would face the consequences when I got home. By the way, I never acted up in school. (laughs) Here is the biblical principle Fear God, respect authority. Fear God, respect authority. My dad taught that God has established a structure of of authority. First of all, there is a sovereign God who is loving and just, and we should heed his commandments and his directions for our lives. Secondly, I learned that parents are appointed by God to represent him to instruct and train children in the ways of God. And then thirdly, everyone else, uh, other individuals of authority that we are called to pay attention to and obey. You see, respect for authority is to revere, to obey, and to submit. Allow me to say that again. Respect for authority is to revere, to obey, and to submit. You see, we all have a different idea of what it means to be successful. And quite frankly, success and failure are often determined by the passing of the leadership test. Leadership test. What is the leadership test? Very simply, the leadership test is a test of submission, and it revolves around one question. Will I submit to authority? This test is so critical because the willingness to submit to authority reveals a person's true character. So, from the wisest man who has ever lived, Proverbs 13, verse 13. Whoever scorns instruction will pay for it, but whoever respects a command is rewarded. From the wisest man who's ever lived. All right. Quote number two. We have to go fast because there's eight of them, okay? Uh, Number two. I heard this growing up listen for my whistle. My dad had an incredible whistle. He could take his two fingers. I can't whistle to save my life, okay? But he could take his two fingers, I mean, and he could, it was, it was incredible. And so we grew up, us three kids, when we heard dad whistle, we would come running. We'd be outside playing, he would whistle, and we knew there was a reason for the whistle. We didn't ask questions. We didn't debate, we didn't argue, we showed up. I remember one time we were having a Sunday school picnic way back in the day and we were uh, at someone's home and there were a 100 or so people playing games and so forth and my dad was going to call us three kids, it was time to go home and he told the buddy that he was next to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my kids to come, I'm gonna blow, I'm gonna, and, my, and this friend said, They're not gonna come, you gotta be kidding me. And so my dad blew his whistle, and in a matter of moments, Bill, Melinda, and Tim. You see, dad taught us that obedience is priority. (laughs) Obedience is priority. When you obey mom and dad, you're obeying God. Here's a biblical principle. Sacrifice without obedience is only hypocrisy. Sacrifice without obedience is only hypocrisy. Another quote by Billy Graham, uh, he said this, God does not call us to be successful, but to be obedient. You see, our works without obedience to God and his word are just empty religious rituals, we live in a culture today where we think our ideas, our thoughts, our plans, we know better than God what is right or best for us. And that's a dangerous place to be. And if we're not careful, those of us within the church, we can allow uh, the, the, the pattern, the, the thinking, the philosophy of our world to kind of creep within our hearts and our minds and even in our soul, and we can easily adopt that philosophy as well. This is pretty strong, but it's good. (laughs) To know God's will and deliberately disobey it is to put ourselves above God, and therefore we become our own God, which is the vilest form of idolatry. You know, the commandment uh, that says, thou shalt not make any graven images. We pat ourselves on the back because we say to ourselves, well, you you come into my home, there aren't any statues, there aren't any images that I bow down to and worship. But when we choose to willfully disobey God's word, his commandments, his direction for our lives, we worship ourselves and again, become idolaters. Parents, the godly training of children should be a foremost concern and responsibility uh, for moms and dads. The purpose of parental instruction is to teach the children, here we go, to fear the Lord, to walk in all of his ways, to love and appreciate him, and to serve him with all of their heart. And if you are a parent and you're raising your kids right now, be careful because the philosophy in our world is this. Your goal is to make your kids happy. And that is not biblical. It is not your goal to make sure your kids have a happy, 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 happy fairyland life. It's not. It is your responsibility to teach them to obey you, to respect authority, and to revere God as their heavenly father. (laughs) Ideally, parents should set an example for their children, modeling in real life what it means to follow God and to obey his commands. From the wisest man who's ever lived, Proverbs 19, 16, whoever keeps commandments keeps their life, but whoever shows contempt will die. So parents, keep your kids from dying and teach them to follow God and his word. All right, now this next quote that my dad said, I think many of you have heard this from your parent as well at some point, maybe. Number three, this is going to hurt me more than it is going to hurt you. Okay, yeah. Many years ago, when I was a teacher, um, a student came up to me, and a little bit with an attitude, she said, well, I have never gotten spanking. And I said to myself, ooh, that's the problem. (laughs) sensitive subject, and I said to my wife, I said, boy, dear, I'm not sure if I want to handle this on a Sunday morning, live stream and all. She said, dear, it's the truth. It's in the Bible. You've got to speak biblical truth to the church today. My father never hit me, but he spanked me. I've had parents come to me proudly and say, well, I've never hit my child. My dad never hit me. He disciplined me, and I needed it. There has never been a child, except for Jesus Christ, who did not need to be disciplined. Here is the biblical principle. Love equals discipline. Scripture instructs parents to discipline their children during their formative years. This is a period in our kids' lives when their way of thinking and behaving are being shaped. And guess what? It is our responsibility to help shape and mold our kids into God's likeness. Methods of discipline like spanking should be done only for deliberate disobedience or defiance that is done on purpose. This form of discipline should be done with control and an attitude of loving concern. I don't know, two, three times, four at the max in my lifetime, and after every time of discipline, my dad, never in anger, after the discipline, He would help me to understand why he had to do that and would love me. And I am the man I am today because my father was man enough to discipline his son. The necessary parental discipline given in wise, loving, and considerate manner helps children to learn that wrong behavior carries unpleasant consequences. You speed, there's an unpleasant consequence awaiting you uh, either in the mail or in a few minutes after you speak. (laughs) The Bible does not justify excessive physical punishment, and it certainly does not give support for abuse. Any form of correction and discipline must always, always be done out of love, just as our Heavenly Father shows toward us. There is a great book out, parents, called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Uh, Next to your Bible on your nightstand, if you've got kids at home, that should be the next book uh, that you should be reading. And good news is in the fall, uh, we will be introducing to you uh, parenting classes uh, and, and ways that you can learn biblically how to be a godly parent. From the wisest man who has ever lived, Proverbs 13:24: "A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them." OK, let's take a break. <laughs> um, some of you may thinking, "Wow, your dad. He's pretty strict. He was a tyrant, maybe. <laughs> Not at all. My dad was the head of the home, he was the leader of the home. Was he perfect? No. When he wasn't perfect, he apologized to us kids. He was the same man at home as he was in the pulpit. That's why I believe all three of us kids have never strayed. What he preached on Sunday mornings, he lived all throughout the week. Our dad was the all-time pitcher. We would play neighborhood baseball, and we'd gather eight, nine, 10 kids, and uh, we would play ball, and he would be the all-time pitcher. He'd pitch the ball for you know both teams, and he was good, too, and fair. Dad played Monopoly, the game of life, around the dining room table with us kids. By the way, my dad was bivocational. He worked two jobs. Um, Many Saturdays, he was working when uh, we were but but dad took the time to love life with us. And what's amazing by what I've already talked about with all of you is I always felt loved, I always felt safe, I always felt secure, and our home was always stable. There's just something about following God and his word. All right. Number four. Another quote that I heard from my dad growing up. He used to say this. We don't talk like that in this house. I have never heard a slang word or a four-letter word come from my father's lips. And I mean Never. My dad was very strict about what we watched on TV. And growing up, we didn't like it. (laughs) In the 70s, TV shows began to introduce four-letter words. And I remember one evening, we were down in our basement. That's where our 19-inch black and white TV was with three channels with a knob, where we would sit and watch TV. And one night, we were watching the show The Waltons. Oh, no. <laughs> I remember distinctly. Olivia, Mrs. Walton, used a four-letter word for the first time ever on TV. My dad got up, shut the TV off, and he said, we don't talk like that in this house. Now, he knew that, you know, we went to public school. We've heard those words before. But his philosophy has always been, but in this house, we can control what we hear and what we say and what we watch. So he turned off the TV and we went upstairs and played Monopoly. Biblical principle oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. <laughs> oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. In my home, uh, growing up, uh, we talked rated G. We did. And over the years, in many of our homes, we've gone from a rated G conversation to a PG. To PG-13. 2018 rated R. Even in Christian homes. I remember trying to impress my friends with vocab words that I had learned in English class from the most recent uh, vocab quiz. I remember so well learning the word dexterity, dexterity, and I have used that word ever since. So proud of my vocabulary. Some of us we try to impress one another with four-letter words to convey that no one is going to tell me what I can or cannot say. In this sinful, rebellious world where we live, this is not news. New news. There are many activities, behaviors, and practices that are common for many people, but should be completely unacceptable and improper for God's holy people. And this applies to our conversations. Parents with kids living at home, little ears are listening. We are to keep ourselves from obscenity, foolish talk, and even coarse joking, even when they are acceptable within our culture. From the wisest man who has ever lived, Proverbs 4:24, "Keep your mouth free of perversity; keep corrupt talk far from your lips." Quote number 5. This quote began when i was a teenager my dad would say son when you graduate you need a plan you see you've heard my story a few years ago i had this neat bedroom in our basement with orange carpet i love the color orange okay And so, I was down there by myself. I had my own cool, back in those days, we called it our pad, okay? And uh, just around the corner from my bedroom, I had a restroom. And so, I just had my own little thing going on. I had a 13-inch black and white TV, a record player. I had my big headphones. I was loving life. And then, I can go up to the stairs and have breakfast. It was kind of like a Holiday Inn Express. And my dad, who was very wise, knew that if, I, if he wasn't careful, I could take advantage of that. <laughs> and I think I could have, and I would have. My dad helped me to see that, boy, when you graduate, you got to have some plans. And I will help you, and I will guide you, but come up with a plan, okay? You know, he gave me guidance as well as challenged me regarding my future. Here's the biblical principle: plan ahead, look ahead, pray ahead, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And it was it was a bit overwhelming for me, the challenge to think ahead, to plan um, Uh, To think about, boy, what am I going to do with my life? But you know what that did? That pushed me to get on my knees in my bedroom in the basement with orange carpet and seek the face of God and say, God, help. (laughs) What am I supposed to do? Where do you want me to go? Help me, help me, help me. And God did. (laughs) God's a good God. He's a faithful God. He he led me to a, a Christian university 12 hours away. That's where I met my wife. That's where I heard about Calvary Church. Lo and behold, here I am. I mean, I'm thankful that my dad pushed me and challenged me to plan ahead. From the wisest man who has ever lived, Proverbs 20, verse 18, plans are established by seeking advice. Moving along, quote number six from my dad, He said this and believed this. God will always take care of you. Again, my parents were pastors, small church pastors. And when I say small church, I mean small church. I remember uh, on Easter Sunday in Battle Creek, Michigan, that Sunday, we had 55. My parents were thrilled. 55 on Easter. That was awesome. We were the family that would show up 30 minutes ahead of time and turn the lights on, turn the heat on. We didn't have air conditioning back then. My mom cleaned the church every Saturday. That was our life. Many would say that my dad was not successful. By vocational, he was a milkman, worked in a factory, worked in a department store, for most of his, his career, he was a carpenter and a really good carpenter. In the last uh, few years, since he's retired from ministry, he has worked in a popcorn trailer at an amusement park. I know my dad is listening, and I, haven't, I didn't get permission from him about today, so, Dad, I'll call you later, okay, <laughs> and say I'm sorry, or... but. Uh, um, The most my dad has ever made, $36,000 in his lifetime in one year. After making that after the first year, he told the church that was too much, don't pay him that much. My parents have never been in financial need. They've always been content. Very early in their marriage, they learned to trust God for everything the gas in their car, the food on their tables, for everything. I've heard the story. My parents went to Bible college in Mount Vernon, Ohio. And uh, on the weekends, they would pastor a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So on Saturday, they would drive to Fort Wayne from Mount Vernon. Dad would preach Sunday morning, Sunday night. And we're talking maybe 20 people. They They would do that for 20 people and then drive home. The school didn't give them a salary. The school didn't pay for their, for their gas, didn't pay for their meals. That's just what they did. And I heard the story how uh, one Sunday night, they had no gas in the car and no money in their wallets. They did not know how they were gonna get back to Bible college, and they had class the next day. They had to get back. They trusted God. They prayed. By the end of that evening service, a dear older lady gave my dad a $5 bill. That $5 bill filled their gas tank, and they shared a big boy hamburger, and they were as content as content can be. On payday, their first check that my parents would write for almost 60 years has been their tithe to the church and their offering to missions, vacations, we went to grandma and grandpa's house, spent a week in Detroit area swimming in their pool and hanging out. Sometimes our vacation was attending church conferences. But we were content. <laughs> Biblical principle, give to God first. Give to God first. You see, the Israelites presented the first portion of their harvest as an offering to God in recognition of the fact that God was the rightful owner of everything, including the land and all it produced. Like my parents, we too should give God the first portion of our income in a way of expressing our gratitude and honoring Him as Lord of our lives and of our possessions. Successful My parents were very successful. Three kids who love God, who are serving God. Eight grandkids who love God, who are serving God. Almost six great grandkids in a month uh, who are on their way to loving and serving God. My dad is very, very content. From the wisest man who has ever lived, Proverbs 3 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Quote number seven, dad would say this to me, Bill, just be faithful, just be faithful. I watched my dad's faithfulness as a kid, and I I still do. Sunday after Sunday, Sunday night after Sunday night, Wednesday night after Wednesday night, My dad would preach to two people, and many Sundays, that's what he had. He had two people. (sighs) Wow. That's faithful. My dad modeled and taught us that faithfulness to God is a high priority. He taught me that everything we do should bring honor to God. I can't tell you how many times during a difficult season in my life, dad would remind me, Bill, just be faithful. Just be faithful. Biblical principle, faithfulness is our purpose. Faithfulness is our purpose. You know, there are many things to strive for and gain, but I believe that being faithful where God has placed us and put us is one of the highest callings uh, for you and I. All of our efforts, our work, our labor should be done unto the Lord. We must work as though Jesus Christ uh, is our employer, knowing that all work performed for the Lord will someday be rewarded. From the wisest man who's ever lived, Proverbs 3.3, let love and faithfulness Never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then finally, quote number eight, and uh, this kind of is foundational to, all, to everything that we've talked about today. I heard this growing up. The Bible does not belong on the floor. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say thou shalt not put the Bible on the floor. However, my parents taught me that that Bible that we have in our house is not just a book. It's something that we honor and that we treasure. And to this day, I cannot and will not put my Bible on the floor. Whenever I carry my Bible with a stack of books, it's always on the top. Um, even on my desk when I was preparing this week, my desk was loaded full of books and stuff, and I, and I went to put some, and I moved it over on top of another book. I mean, it's just, again, it's not a commandment. But what it does say, it says something about um, the importance that we should have for God's word. Here is the biblical principle. Treasure God's word. Treasure God's word. I learned that the Bible is God's revelation of himself to us. I learned that the Bible is infallible. It is never wrong and it's completely true. I learned that the Bible is the authoritative guide for our lives. In the Bible, we learn history. It teaches us about God and his plan for our lives. It provides uh, spiritual strength and even provides emotional stability for us during those seasons of our lives. And even it helps us to process the voices of our culture. From the wisest man who has ever lived, Proverbs chapter 30, verse five, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Wisdom from two fathers. And I hope that you know I didn't come on too strong today or, or whatever, but but I believe that these principles that we talked about are non-negotiables. And we need to be reminded of them and if so, reinvite them back into our lifestyle. There's another father I want to talk about as we wrap up today from the old testament. We read about him in 1 Samuel. He was the first king of Israel. And though scripture records him to be handsome and a head taller than the others with great leadership potential, King Saul was a miserable failure simply due to his lack of obedience. He was insubordinate to leadership He was jealous of his own son, Jonathan. He was more concerned about looking good before people than being good before God. He made excuses time and time again for his disobedience. His views and choices were more important than God's voice. And his heart, his heart was never close to the Lord. And so as a result of his defiant disobedience, God removed him from the scene and began to prepare another man to be the king of Israel. That's King David. And in the process of choosing the next king of Israel, God used Samuel to be the one to anoint the next king. And Samuel knew that the next king was one of Jesse's eight sons. And so uh, some of you know the story. Samuel went son after son after son. And the first son, Samuel looked at him and thought to himself, yep, he's the king. Scripture says he was good looking, he was tall, and, and right away, uh, God spoke this following word to Samuel, First Samuel sixteen verse seven: The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. Awesome. So I don't have to look a certain way to be successful, to have God's favor. I don't have to be six foot tall. Right here is all that matters. One of the foundational principles we see in Scripture is the heart. The heart is what matters the most to God. From the wisest man who has ever lived, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So today, on this Father's Day, I do want to challenge our fathers. In fact, I want to challenge the men of our church and everyone by asking you this question, what is the status of your heart? What is the status of your heart? I tend to believe that those eight quotes from my dad those biblical principles that we read from the book of Proverbs written by King Solomon. If we apply those principles to our lives and live according to them, God can work in our hearts. He can work with our hearts as we respect and obey and as we live a life of, of obedience to him. Absolutely. So what is the status of your heart today? On this Father's Day, I want to do this. If you are a father and you still have kids in your home that you are raising, uh, I want to have you stand, okay? Would you stand, fathers with kids in your homes? We want to we pray for you today. You are in, you're in the heat of battle. And I think it would be important on this Father's Day for your church to pray for you. I've asked uh, Breanne Smithia, and Carrie Pryor to come and lead us in prayer today. Uh, Brianne is a PK and MK, preacher's kid, missionary kid, raised by an awesome dad. And I've asked her today to pray for you dads who are raising your kids. So would you bow your heads with us today? And let's pray.
2: Lord, we come before you and first off we say thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the fact that we're a part of your family and you're the one who has defined what fatherhood is. And I thank you for the fact that you are the example of that. But God, I also thank you for the fact that you strengthen these men to be the father you've called them to be. You are the definer, the family unit, Lord. And you do not just leave them on their own to do it on their own strength, but you give them your strength and your Holy Spirit to guide them. So Father, right now, we stand with these men, we stand with these fathers, and we say thank you for the wisdom you've given them. Thank you for the love that is in their hearts. But God, we also come before you And we ask for your strength to stand firm, stand firm in what you've called them to do. And we also rebuke any work of the enemy that comes against them. We know that the devil tries to destroy. We know that the devil tries to kill the family. And right now we stand in the gap and we rebuke the work of the enemy. We rebuke the work of the devil in the hearts and the minds. And right now, God, I just ask for all these fathers that if there's anything in their way hindering them from being the fathers you've called them to be, may that be lifted and may that be gone. May they have a peace and a love. And when they look at their children, Father, may they have such a love that grows within them. And Father, also, any wounds that a father has caused them, may that be healed. Any wounds that they have caused their own children, may that be healed. May there be unity and maybe they're glorifying of you, God. We give it to you because we know you are faithful. We give it to you because we know you are the God of strength and you are the God of fatherhood. And we trust you with it. In your name.
1: And I neglected to encourage those in the different venues to please participate uh, in our time of prayer today as well. Now I'm going to ask uh, all the men, all the men in this room today, would you please stand uh, in Auditorium 1, in the chapel, uh, Auditorium 2. And I've asked Carrie Pryor, who's a member of our team, to come and pray over the men of our church. We honor you today. We respect you. We need you. Thank you for your leadership, your courage, and your strength. Carrie, would you pray?
0: God, we are so thankful for the leadership of these men that are standing, God. And we just pray that you would give clear wisdom and understanding of the direction of the paths of their lives. God, I pray that you would give them courage to lead boldly for you. Father, I pray for men to have hearts after you because then their hearts are reflected in the lives that they live. God, I pray that they would have the courage to live boldly against what the world throws at them. God, I pray for strength to withstand what the enemy tries to throw at them, to tear them down. God, I pray against the lies of the enemy in their lives. God, may they hear clearly your words over them, that they are your army of men, so strong, so courageous, going after this world in the name of Jesus to change this world. Father, I pray blessings on their lives. I pray Clear paths. I pray clear wisdom. Jesus, we just uh, pray that you will just lead and guide every step that they take, that they are clear examples for everyone who is watching, clear examples to all the generations. God, for the teenage boys that need to just continue to follow after you, Father, to be able to know the clear path and walk in it, we just ask that you would be with them, Father. We love you, we thank you, and in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: And so, Lord, I thank you for this great day. I pray, God, that we would honor you with our lives as we follow after you, as we give our hearts to you, as we live in obedience to you and your word. We bless you now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And everyone said amen. 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 Thanks so much for sharing this Father's Day with us. Dads, again, stop by and get your gift. Have a great day.